Would you join me in a word of prayer as we just start our message this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to have the privilege to come before you this morning, to come before the very throne of our Father in heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're humbled to be in your presence. And Lord, we just want to, in that humility, we want to ask for your blessing on this service, your blessing on the word this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us, speaking to each one of us. Give us ears to hear your voice and a heart to accept it. And God, we pray that everything that happens this morning in this place would glorify you. We pray that uh, just a blessing on this time, we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Vince Lombardi, you know the name Vince Lombardi? He was a, a yeah, okay, I'm not a football guy, I'm more a hockey guy, but you know, it's no good uh, hockey illustrations for where I'm going this morning, so we're sticking with Vince Lombardi. Uh, he was one of the most famous American football coaches. Uh, he lived from 1913 to 1970, and during that time, he led the Green Bay Packers to five NFL championships. That's pretty impressive, even from a hockey fan. In July of 1961, in that summer, the Packers were regathering for their training camp, having uh, ended the previous season. They were heading into the new season. They met in the summer for training. The last Super Bowl, the previous Super Bowl, they had a lead in the game in, late into the fourth quarter, and they lost the lead. They lost the game to the Philadelphia Eagles. Are there Eagles fans here? Okay, so let's get this right out of the way. All right. I'm a hockey fan. I really couldn't care less about football. But I can't stand the Flyers, so anything associated with Philly other than cheesesteak, I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> so anyway, they, they had made it to the Super Bowl. They lost the game, but they made it to the Super Bowl. That's impressive, right? They were among the champions. They were among the greatest players. They were professionals. They were among the best of their sport. And yet in that July training camp, Lombardi was watching the players and getting frustrated and he, and he stopped everything. He stopped all the drills that were going on, everything. He called everybody over to him. And as they huddled around him, Lombardi held up a football. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And one of the players immediately understood what he was trying to get at. And he responded by saying, uh, coach, can you slow down a little bit? You're going a little too fast for us. This is one of the best teams in the NFL. And what Lombardi was recognizing was that they were too lost in the technicalities. They were too lost in the plays and the strategies and this and that, and they were forgetting the basics. And so this morning, uh, we're here to celebrate Palm Sunday, which most of us probably have done time and time again before, right? It's not an unfamiliar holiday. And yet, I think sometimes we need to get back to the basics. Uh, this is the type of a holiday, the type of a, of a scenario, a narrative that I can really nerd out in because there's a lot going on in the scriptures, a lot going on in the passages and in the Jewish culture, and there's all kinds of things you can flesh out. But what I want to do this morning is just recognize again, what's, what's the football? What's the football of our faith? Yesterday was Passover. So there were Jews all over the world celebrating this holiday that they've been celebrating for around 3,500 years. It's an ancient holiday. It's amazing to think about that. Think about our country. Right? Our country is old, but that's like a blink compared to 3,500 years. But that's how long they've been celebrating this holiday. This morning, we as Christians, we begin Holy Week. 
So this morning is Palm Sunday, or we celebrate the triumphal entry. Uh, Maundy Thursday is the day that we recognize the Last Supper and the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Good Friday, we commemorate the crucifixion and death of Christ. Uh, Black Saturday, I didn't know there was a name for that, but Black Saturday was the day between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Oops, spoiler alert. (laughs) But that Saturday uh, in the Jewish faith, again, would be the Shabbat or the Sabbath. And so they were not allowed to do any work on that day. So between the time of Christ's death and that Sunday, they weren't able to prepare the body the way they would have wanted to. And so we know that there was kind of a rushed burial on that Friday night leading into the Sabbath. And then Sunday morning, well, I won't spoil Sunday morning. You'll have to come back next week. Uh, Easter, obviously, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate Christ defeating death, that he returned from the dead. And with that return from the dead, he brought new life. There's all kinds of, again, I could totally nerd out on this, but I'm trying to keep it brief. But this morning we're here to celebrate Palm Sunday. We're here to celebrate the triumphal entry. Or so I thought. That's kind of how I've always approached Palm Sunday. This is the day that we get the palms, right? Which is it's kind of unique to have a tree branch in your hand in church. But we get the palms and we celebrate Christ entering Jerusalem. And people were celebrating, waving the palms. And they laid them down on the road. And their cloaks, right? And Jesus entered as a, a king or a messiah. But as we read through the scriptures, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reread Matthew 21, which was read this morning. Um, So if you want to stick your finger there, we can. But what I want to do is kind of re-look at the story, reconsider what was happening, reconsider what people were doing, and again, kind of get back to the very basics, the heart of the story. And I want to do this in preparation for next week. So you can consider this morning kind of a prelude to the Easter service next week. I think uh, if we were to just come and and wave our palms and, and retell the story of Christ, we would be missing that this is a football moment. We would be missing that kind of foundational question that we need to consider. And so this morning I'm going to pose the question that's going to seem so simple and so basic as to be ridiculous. But but it's the football that we need to keep in mind. And the question is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That may not be a new question for you to consider. Maybe you've asked yourself before. Maybe you're wrestling with that question currently. But the answer to that question, who is Jesus, is foundational to what we believe. Whether you believe he is who he said he was or whether you don't. It's foundational to everything else that we believe. It's foundational to how we live. Because how you answer that question will direct the path of your life. It's foundational to our church. How should our church live? How should our church respond to the the city around us in response to that question? Who is Jesus? If as a church we want to introduce Wilkes... Okay, wait, let's get this out of the way. How do you say your city name? Bar? Wilkes, period. (laughs) If we want to introduce our city, (laughs) to Jesus Christ, then again, we need to spend time wrestling with that very foundational question of who is Jesus? 
And, and I recognize that, you know, for some of you, you've been Christians for years and years and years. And that seems like an oversimplistic question, but that's the football. That's the heart of it. It's foundational. We're going to look primarily, uh, again, at Matthew 21. I'll read that. Uh, if you want to read along, stick your finger there now. Um, if not, I'll, I'll read slowly so you can follow. Um, there's two questions that I want us to consider as we reflect on the story in Matthew 21. The first question is, who do your friends say Jesus is? And then as we consider the city at large, who do your neighbors say Jesus is? And before we go into looking at the scripture, uh, Frank, were you able to get that video up? Awesome. We're going to watch a video. It's kind of a man on the street type of video that just goes out. It's, it's actually filmed in New York City. Um, and the simple question was, who is Jesus? And it's always interesting to me to hear people's responses to that. And I'm sure the answers that we'll hear here will reflect largely the answers that we would hear in our own area. So we'll go ahead and watch that. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't. I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm. Pretty sure he existed. Like I'm not gonna say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was you know we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and he to me is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. Have you heard responses similar to those in your in your walk from different people? I'm going to reread Matthew 21. This is, again, the narrative of Jesus entering Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday now. Matthew writes, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So as we consider what's happening here, the first thing I want to consider is this. Uh, why was Jesus entering Jerusalem? Right, It's kind of a, a basic foundational beginning point for the story. And the answer is that they were going to celebrate Passover. Again, at, at this point in time, Passover had been celebrated for around 1,500 years. And so Jesus, being a rabbi, a faithful Jew, would have celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And where better to do that than Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel? So they were entering the city of Jerusalem for the purpose of celebrating the Passover. Uh, Passover is known as the Pesach in Hebrew. I don't, I don't actually know Hebrew, but I know enough to be dangerous, so don't get too impressed when I say stuff like that. But I just love the sound of the Hebrew, but Pesach. Uh, they were celebrating the Pesach Seder, or a Passover meal. In Exodus 12, we read, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So they're celebrating this event that happened 1,500 years earlier, where Moses, or Moshe, went before Pharaoh to demand that the Israelites were released from slavery he was the mouthpiece of God. He was the mouthpiece of the Lord. We know the whole let my people go thing, right? We know the plagues, the story of the plagues. Those plagues were God executing judgment against Egyptian gods. So each one of the plagues that God brought on Egypt corresponded to an Egyptian god. And he was declaring his power over those Egyptian gods. And the last plague that God issued was the death of the firstborn the death of every firstborn male, from Pharaoh all the way down to slave, and between people and animals, the firstborn male died. But in the midst of that plague, God made a provision for his people, and he instructed them to take a lamb, a year-old lamb without blemish, and they were to sacrifice it, to slaughter it, and take some of the blood and rub it on the top and sides of their doorframe. And that night when the Holy Spirit went through to kill the firstborn, they would see the blood, he would see the blood, and he would pass over that home. That's where the name comes from. Um, has, has anyone here ever been through a Passover Seder, the meal? Have you? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing. I would love for us as a church to host that at some point. That Put that, put that on someone's calendar. <laughs> um, it's an amazing, amazing thing to go through. Uh, but what's truly amazing is how much Symbolism is built into this Jewish uh, ceremony that reflects Christ, that reflects the Messiah that they were looking for. So Jesus was entering Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And we know in the midst of that, again, this is one of those areas where I could totally nerd out, but I'm trying to, to keep it kind of concise. In the midst of that ceremony that had been celebrated for 1,500 years, Jesus institutes a new ceremony that we know as the Lord's Supper communion. 
and it corresponds directly with what was taking place. It says that when he took bread, and that bread is part of that ceremony, it has symbolism already, but he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood that brings about the new covenant. So we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but there is so much Jewishness to what's happening. There's so much symbolism to what's happening. It's, it's amazing. There's so much depth to it. And yet in the midst of all that depth, I want us to remember, what's the football? What is the football? Who is Jesus? So continuing in the story, uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, uh, and he steals some donkeys. Now, this might just be because I'm from New Jersey, right? <laughs> but here's what went through my mind. I'm, I'm opening someone's car, right, maybe hot wiring it, and they're like, what are you doing in my car? And I say, the Lord needs it. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I imagine, you know, Wilkes, I'm Wilkes period, <laughs> being a big city, you would probably be a little skeptical if someone started going into your car, right, and saying, oh, it's all right, the Lord needs it. I'd be like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> In the Gospel of Luke, Luke offers a little more detail on what's happening here or, or how it goes about. Uh, in Luke 19, he says, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. So again, why are you stealing my car? The Lord needs it. Okay. I guess it was a different time. <laughs> it's possible. There are different uh, ideas of why that happened uh, or, or how that came about. Um, it's possible that Jesus had a reputation already. He was a, a rabbi with growing popularity. And it's possible that when they explained that Jesus needs it, Kind of the celebrity factor followed him, and they would have been okay. You know, go ahead, a little more trusting. Um, the city of Jerusalem itself was a, a, a point of pilgrimage. People would regularly make pilgrimages to that city, especially during times of like Passover and other high, ho high holidays. Um, so it's possible that it was just an act of, uh, what's that word? I'm drawing a blank. Hospitality. <laughs> Uh, just a regular act of hospitality where people would have been a little more inclined to let people use their things and, and provide them food and things like that needs. What Matthew points out is that Jesus is entering as a king. Matthew is writing from a very Jewish perspective, and he's trying to uh, support the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's quick to point out this was to fulfill a prophecy. So from the Jewish perspective, we can see kind of what's happening but if you remove that perspective and just see Jesus go in and take a donkey, it's a little, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. But Matthew here quotes Zechariah 9.9. And Zechariah 9.9 comes from a larger story. It's, it's sort of a, um, it's sort of a uh, hold on, I'm lost in my notes here. I'll get back to that. <laughs> Zechariah 9.9 uh, links what happens with Jesus here taking the donkey to a messianic event. So Matthew, in a sense, when he's writing, is pointing out this is the Messiah. 
It's a support of Jesus as the Messiah. There was an expectation of the Messiah during that time. The Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah. There was uh, kind of an anxiousness, an anticipation that the Messiah would be coming soon. There were people who popped up here and there during Jesus' time that claimed to be Messiahs. So it wasn't unusual for that idea. But here, uh, Matthew again is supporting Jesus as the Messiah by saying, look, he did this and that fulfilled this prophecy. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he continues to do that. But the Jewish people largely were expecting a different type of Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah to come and free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire, to come in in a, in a military sense. Their great king would come in riding on a horse, possibly with a military procession behind him. And they were going to finally draw the line in the sand with Rome and free the Israelites from the oppression that they had suffered. And yet, Jesus comes in on a donkey. And kings would ride donkeys. That was not unusual. But if they did, it was for a civil meeting. It was not coming in as a conquering king. It was coming in more as a diplomat. And Jesus here enters in a meek way, as a peaceful king. And so the people didn't know exactly how to respond to that, especially if you consider the, the historical context of being in the midst of the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire was as huge as it was and as sturdy and strong as it was because of their military, their great military might. So there was peace in the land, but that peace came at the point of a spear because they had such military strength. And when their military traveled, when their generals traveled, or when their king traveled, you knew it. There was power behind that. It was a, a military procession with symbolism, with fanfare, displaying their might. And that's what the Jewish people were looking for. And here comes Jesus riding into town on a donkey. The crowd started shouting. We read that, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And these things, again, in the narrative in our mind, they're worshiping the Messiah. They're recognizing Jesus as the King. But those phrases actually come from uh, what's known as the Hillel, or, or a song, a praise song that's used during the Passover celebration. It's found in Psalm 113, from Psalm 113 to 118, if you want to read that during this week. But that Hillel would be read as part of the Passover service. So, whereas we take this, kind of from Matthew's perspective, we, we have the uh, future knowledge of knowing what's taking place here when we look back on it. And so we're saying, well, they're, they're declaring Jesus is the Messiah. But again, it's possible they were just part of that Passover celebration. They were just singing the songs that they sing during Passover. And they see their, this rabbi come in, and, and later on we see that they recognize him as a prophet. They know he's special, and so they're singing these Passover songs. But I think to say that they recognize him as the Messiah might be, might be a step too far. They're using messianic terminology. Son of David is a direct reference to that expectation of a Messiah. Hosanna, that word means to save. So they're calling out for God's salvation. And again, it's part of that Passover celebration. They recognize that God saved them from the slavery of Egypt, and now they're oppressed by the Romans, and they're looking for that salvation, that person to come in and save them and draw them out of that oppression. So here the Pharisees, again, this is a place where I could nerd out, but the Pharisees we know would constantly butt heads with Jesus. They were constantly challenging him. 
Their teaching constantly conflicted with what Jesus was trying to teach. The Pharisees see what's going on. They see the crowd responding to Jesus in this way. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And here Jesus is referring to Habakkuk 2.11. That that section of scripture is kind of a telltale heart scripture where you try to hide your sin in it and it finds you out. And here Jesus is using it as a messianic proclamation. So again, from Matthew's perspective, he's saying, look, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's using these prophecies to refer to himself. 2,000 years later, we're celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry. We're celebrating Palm Sunday. And again, I, I always had this narrative in my mind where Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. They saw him as the king and the Messiah, and they started celebrating, and they put the palms down on the road. But last year, as I was studying it for Palm Sunday, that last section of the story hit me in a different way. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? So there was obviously, there was an excitement behind Jesus coming. There was an anticipation. There was like, who is this guy? What's going on? The crowds were, were kind of, you know, murmuring, what's, what's going on? Who is that dude? You know, the whole celebrity. Imagine the paparazzi when they press in on a celebrity. Well, here comes this rabbi into town and people are going, oh, who's that? What's going on? Why is everybody singing? But what was the answer? Did they say, oh, our, our Messiah is here, our king is here? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is Jesus, the prophet. In Luke's account of the same story, it says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so by Luke's account, they're, they're recognizing the right thing, but they're not recognizing it for the right reason. They're excited because this dude did miracles. He did something really cool. He, maybe he's the guy. Let's go celebrate. Grab a palm branch. In God, John's gospel, he says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Why were they pursuing him? They heard he raised the dude from the dead. That'll get your attention. But it wasn't necessarily our Messiah is here. Our King is here. They were thinking, this dude raised a guy from the dead. He did some pretty sweet miracles. Let's go see what's going on. Hey, everybody's singing. I'll sing. I can't dance. Just to make that clear. So we, roughly 2,000 years later, we celebrate Palm Sunday. We celebrate Jesus as the Messiah. We celebrate Jesus as the King. But who did the people back then believe Jesus to be? When the city asks, who is this? They said, a prophet. Now, a prophet's impressive, don't get me wrong. 
But a prophet's not the Messiah. A prophet's not the king. A prophet's definitely not the son of God. Some clearly did believe he was the Messiah. Some thought he was the king. But again, the expectation was, this dude's finally going to free us from Roman oppression. And how do we know that? Because a week later, they're putting him to death. Some saw him as a miracle worker. I love the dude in the video with the, with the pigeons all over him, right? <laughs> that dude was pretty cool. But you can't fault him for his thinking. If David Copperfield lived back in Jesus' day, he would have been Jesus. So he's basically saying, yeah, Jesus was recognized for these miracles and things, but he was just a magician. It was just illusions like the ones that we see on TV. I'm sure if you were just kind of caught up in the celebrity, the fact that this rabbi, this famous rabbi was coming to town, let's go get his autograph. I heard he raised a guy from the dead. Maybe he can fix my finger. But how many in that crowd truly understood who Jesus was? And as we consider that question, how many of us truly believe who Jesus is? How many of our friends truly understand who Jesus is? How many in this city truly understand who Jesus is? And yet, that's the football. That's the heart of it. That's why we're here on a Sunday morning. If we're here for another reason, we're not going to be very successful as a church. If we do ministry for the sake of doing ministry, we're not going to be successful as a church. If we try to live a good life for the sake of living a good life, we're not going to be very successful. Because we're missing the football. We're running around on the field, tackling people, you know, doing whatever it is football players do because they're lame. <laughs> but we forgot the football. So this morning, what I want to do is, is challenge us with that simple question. As we lead into the celebration of Easter, don't take for granted, yeah, next week is when Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, people! <laughs> Let's not take it for granted. Who is Jesus? We're brand new as of what it's been like 40 minutes. So I don't I don't really know you all. I, I know some of you on some level, but I don't know you know you. For some of you, if I ask you who is Jesus, it might be the first time you've considered it. You might be thinking, I don't know. Came here to find out. What are you doing? <laughs> for some of you, again, you've been believers in Christ for, for years. And yet, sometimes we, we get so comfortable in our faith, we take the basics for granted. And so, my question to you this morning, again, is who is Jesus? My challenge to you this morning is this. If I were to ask you, who is Jesus? If your answer starts with, I think, take caution. I think we as a nation, I think we as the church in America, not just this church, but the church in America, 
I think a lot of our opinions about Jesus are based on opinions about Jesus. We hear ideas about who Jesus was. We hear thoughts and ideas. We might read a magazine article or see a, a documentary on the History Channel. But if you, if you take what Jesus said, Jesus' promises, his, his claims, everything that he said and taught and did, deal with eternity. Do we want to base our eternity on opinions, on someone else's opinions? I'm not that smart, but I'm not going to trust you all with my eternity. <laughs> Who is Jesus? Don't answer that question based on what you've heard about Jesus. Don't base your opinion of Jesus on other people's opinion of Jesus. In Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So my encouragement for you this week as we lead into Easter is seek Jesus. Ask Jesus who he is. Knock on the door. The church that we just came from had a Celebrate Recovery group. Uh, and there was a young lady there who was, she had, it's a long story, she was in a kind of a women's, almost like a rehab-ish thing, kind of a halfway house situation. And she came to our group for a time, and then she got released. And then she came back, which was not unusual. And the second time around, she was different. Like the first time, she was, she was a lot of fun. She had a very bubbly personality, cracked a lot of jokes. She would sing the worship songs, and at the end she'd be like, yeah, we nailed that one, people. <laughs> she was just a fun, upbeat kind of a girl. The second time when she came back, she sat very, very quietly. And I thought, this poor girl's miserable. She's court-ordered to be here. She would rather be anywhere else in the world. But was that, what was actually happening was that God was starting to get a grip on her heart. And the second time around, she was starting to hear the words of the songs. She was starting to hear the message of the 12 steps that were presented and, and the scriptures that went along with them. And God was working in her life. And at one point... Uh, the guy that was heading our CR group quoted that passage from Matthew 7. And this girl, they, in CR, there's a time of sharing, so you can just kind of share how God is leading you in your recovery and all the things you're struggling with, whatever. Well, it came time to that open time of sharing, and, and the leader opened it up, and it, it, there was kind of a, a lull, and it was just quiet in the room. Nobody really wanted to talk first. And this girl went, <gasps> and she started talking for about literally 20 minutes. You're supposed to keep it three to five minutes. She went a good 20, 25 minutes going on and on and on about all the ways God was working in her life and speaking to her. And, you know, this happened and she thought maybe it reminded her of God, but then this person said the same thing and this person said the same thing. And then wouldn't you know that happened? And she just went on and on and on. At the very end of it, she goes, I think I might have accidentally opened the door to Jesus. <laughs> but it was because... That second time around, she was in a place of openness. She was in a place to hear and really consider and, and think through what the teachings were in the scriptures and how it would impact her. And so my challenge for us, again, the football. Who is Jesus? Whether you've known him for years, whether you don't know him at all, whether you're new to the faith, this week take time and consider who is Jesus? Who is this dude? What did he teach? What did he say? What did he do? How am I supposed to live my life because of that? Let this week 
be our this is a football moment where we get back to the basics. We cut through everything else. Some of you, again, if you've been Christians for years, we have a retired pastor in the house. Sometimes we need to put aside the doctrine. We need to put aside the theology. We need to put aside church, doing church, doing things, doing this and that. Sometimes we have to put all that aside and get back to this. Who is Jesus? Who is it? As a pastor, I often say, you know, part of my job is reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures. And when I was in Bible college, I learned very quickly that when you study the scriptures for grades, your Bible becomes a textbook very quickly. And I, I got to a point where I realized, you know, I'm, I'm getting decent grades, but I am far from God right now. And so I would try to sit down and consciously pray and just say to God, before I do this, would you please reveal something new about yourself to me? Reveal yourself to me through this so that we can grow closer to one another. And sometimes, again, when we've been in the faith for years and years and years, we take it for granted. We lose sight of what's important. We, we get caught up in the theology and the doctrines and the details and the studies and the scholarly aspect of everything. We get caught up in the work of the church and I have to do the worship music this week and the slides for next week and the bulletin. All good things. But sometimes we, we get caught up in that and we forget all of that is for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. So my homework this week, I have, I have homework for you. Hey, you asked me to come here. <laughs> I want to challenge you to pick one of the Gospels and start reading through it this week. If you can get through one, awesome. If you're like me, still okay. The Gospels, let me, let me grab my Bible real quick. I bought this Bible just a few weeks ago. It's a, it's a cultural background study Bible, which is awesome. And it's got really cool pictures and stuff, all kinds of information about ancient everything. And, and it was awesome until I brought it to church one day to study from it. And I'm like, <clears throat> things like 50 pounds. Not very practical for preaching out of, but if you take your Bible, if you're new to the Bible, open it about halfway, and then if you go a little bit to the right, you'll find the four Gospels. They're at the start of the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. So cut it in half, go a little bit to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of those books is written specifically about Jesus. It's about the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. What did he do? Where did he go? Who did he call to him? What did he teach them? What were they doing? And, and then you naturally just kind of align yourself with the disciples. If Jesus says to his disciples, go do this, your brain goes, I think I should do that. It's simple. But each one of the Gospels is very different. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar in many ways. And here's the best way I've heard it described. If you turn on the news... You have, let's say, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News, right? And something happens in America, and each one will report it. And they'll come at it from a different angle. Well, CNN and Fox, a very different angle, but still. Same story, right? Different perspectives, but same story. Then you have BBC. You're like, whoa, that's a totally different perspective. Well, the Gospel of John is BBC. Same story, very different perspective. Uh, Matthew is a very Jewish book. 
Um, it emphasizes Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Matthew's trying to prove Jesus is the Messiah. Um, he's testifying, again, that, that Jesus continues to fulfill these prophecies, and he's saying, look, he's the Messiah. Look, he's the Messiah. Look, he's the Messiah. Very Jewish book. Matthew's been my favorite for quite a while. Mark was written to a Greek audience, or you can hear Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience. Okay, Many of you will like this one. It's short and to the point. This is what Jesus did. No frills, no details, no going on and on about things. Uh, Mark is the Cliff's Notes of the Gospels. Luke was written by a doctor. So his work is very, very, very detail-oriented. It's carefully researched. He interviewed first-hand witnesses. He wanted to get the story right, so he would interview multiple people and string that story together. Um, it's very. Uh, it emphasizes his humanity, the humanity of Jesus. It portrays him uh, as a doctor. It portrays Jesus as the remedy to the world's ills. All the things that are messing up this life, Jesus has the solution to that. So if you're if you're a detail person, if you want very historical account. Go for Luke. John, again, comes out of left field. He emphasizes the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was God. John accounts for many signs that Jesus did, many of the miracles that he did to prove that Jesus was God. Um, for myself, I think I'm going to go with John this week and see if I can get through it in the week, but I am moving, so have some grace. But I would just encourage you, it's not funny. <laughs> Um, I would just encourage you, pick one of the Gospels, especially if you've never read them before. Pick one of the Gospels and start reading it this week. Even if you don't get through it, just start reading it. And what you're doing then is you're understanding who Jesus said he was. You're not understanding Jesus by opinions or perspectives or documentaries. You're taking the words and teachings of Christ. You're, you're looking at the life of his disciples, his closest friends, and watching them. And then you're going to make a judgment about Jesus based on that. And all of that will enhance our Easter service. Next week, obviously, is Easter. Your second homework assignment is to invite someone. Invite someone here. There's a, there's a joke amongst pastors that there are CE Christians. And that means that they come out on Christmas and Easter. Right? Next week's Easter, people. It's a good opportunity. Uh, the basic reality is people who are not really church people are more willing to go to church on Christmas and Easter. Those are the two big holidays. Being Easter, if you know someone that, you know, maybe they're not totally anti-church, maybe they are, hey, go for it. But somebody that you think God might be working on, just say, hey, you want to come to our church on Easter? We have a new pastor. He's really amazing. He's so just interesting and funny and smart and well-dressed. It's amazing. you got to see this guy. Again, not funny. You're kind of hurting my feelings now. <laughs> so those are two of your assignments. Pick a gospel and start reading it. Invite someone to church next week. There's a third optional assignment. Um, this past week, I got a text on my phone that I had totally forgotten that I signed up for. But last year, there's a radio station. I don't know where it is. I don't remember how I found it. But you text them, and they will send you texts throughout Holy Week when different things happen. So... Um, 3 o'clock on Friday, this is the moment that Jesus died. And let me tell you, you know, we're all busy. We're busy people. But you're at work or whatever, you get a text, you just take a glance, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. 
this really happened. And it's sobering. It's very sobering. Um, if you are interested in that, see me after, and I have information on my phone I can give you. You just text a, something to a number or whatever, they text you back. I know you don't want, like, junk texts all the time. I did this last year. I got texts just from the events, and then it stopped. And I didn't get anything until last week when it said, we're doing it again. So you, it's not like you're going to be bombarded with stuff. It's not overwhelming. But it's a great reminder of the events of the week that are coming up. So I would encourage you to do that. This coming week, the celebration of the resurrection of Christ is, is an amazing reality. The things that happened this week, 2,000 years ago, changed all of human history from before, from after, for all eternity. And I don't want us to miss sight of that. But I also don't want it to get lost. We're going to look a little bit next week at the Passover celebration and, and how that comes into play with Jesus' death and resurrection. We're going to look at, uh, well, we do communion next week, correct? Normally? Okay, yeah, so we'll, we'll have that all kind of interweave. It's going to be a great, um, a great moment of, of realizing where Jesus is in the Passover festival, the Passover celebration. And then obviously we'll look at the resurrection and what that means for us. But this week, this week, just remember the football. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Don't come up with an opinion of who Jesus is. Don't come up with some speculation. Look at the teachings of Christ. What did he claim about himself? What did he teach about himself? And the answers to that will change everything for our lives today. Our whole worldview, the way we live each and every day, each and every moment, the way we celebrate joys, the way we suffer through hardships, all of that will be impacted by our answer to who is Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we are just blessed to be able to come before you freely. To come before you without fear and trembling because, because of what Jesus did for us. And Lord, we just want to ask that, that this holy week, this year, as we approach Easter, that we would not take our faith for granted. That we would not overlook that basic question of who is Jesus. As we look through the story of Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, there were a lot of questions from people about who this guy is. Should we follow him? And unfortunately, we know that many came up with the wrong answer. God, we just want to ask that you would give us a more clear understanding of who Jesus is this year. We know we may, we may never get it right until we're standing face, to face, face, by, face to face before him. And yet, we know that when we ask, you will answer. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, you will open the door. And so this morning, Lord, we are knocking on your door, asking that this week you would reveal something new about Jesus. Help us to grow closer to Jesus this week, to understand him better, and in turn to understand ourselves better before a holy God. We thank you. We praise you. We, we are so 
humbled by you reaching into our lives to intercept lost, sinful, enslaved people and freeing us through Christ. Help us this week to be truly impacted by what Jesus did for us so that come Sunday we can celebrate the resurrection like we have never celebrated before. And we just thank you for your great love and mercy that allows that. Be with us this week. Send your Holy Spirit to each one. Draw us closer to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.